possibly they're going to pay 101,000 to win that race. So yeah, if they do that, um, I hope they don't because I've, I'm the only modified guy that's ever won $100,000. Okay. So I hope they don't do it because then that would add somebody else to the list. And if they pay 101, it would be even bigger than what what we've won in the past. It's pretty cool to wear the hat. Like you're the only guy that's won 100,000. Cool. Thanks for making the trip out, dude. Yeah, no problem. This is like this is awesome. I'm happy I did now, right? We're uh this is I quite the quite the place you got here. Yeah, no, it's a cool cool spot I always say to have an office. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah, it would be uh it would be fun coming to work every day when you get to look at this stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so how does it compare to like where you run your team out of? Um so What's the it? the Buzz Chew stuff, that's in um well, I guess explain yeah. the whole program, like how many different guys you're running for, where where all your cars are. So the the biggest one is um, the Super Series, obviously, and then um, that's a that's the Buzz Chew team. Uh, they're they're based out of Inlet, New York, and they got a pretty decent sized shop. You yeah. know, it was like the first um, first time I went there, I was pretty you know overwhelmed with how big that was compared to my own stuff, right? right. But um, and we we raced for Jeff Barron on the Short Track Super Series, and Jeff Jeff's got a pretty big. Um, you know, almost a wholesale, you know, sales deal. Like he's like the Walmart of, um, mm. auto parts for, for the Northeast. And, um, his business is huge. He's got a machine shop. They used to build frames and stuff back there. And, um, his shop's probably the biggest. It's, it's more like this, you know, you yeah. go from, from one area to the next, but, um, for the most part, it's all about making money there. They got, uh, a lot of inventory and, um, the race shop kind of takes a takes a back burner and then uh, we raced the coco went car on friday nights at ranceville and um you know they borrow a shot from from bubby so uh a little bit smaller you know almost like my, my own stuff I, I got my shop at my dad's and um i think it's 30 by 60 and yeah i got a couple cars in there i got a, a belt sander and a drill press and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's a, that's about it anything else you can do uh you can do with a, a the sawzall or a grinder so right on it works out all right yeah you're not yeah, not not restoring high end cars there. <laughs> no. You got a dirt car. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> you know I would kill for some of this machinery to have um, my my own ha- at my house. I I started doing um, some fabrication with with bodies and stuff. We were talking about it earlier, and um, I got a shear and a brake and a bead roller and um, a finger brake and you know the the small stuff to be able to do fifty thou aluminum yeah. uh, fabrication, but. You know, I think I'm doing stuff that's cool when I put a quarter inch bend on something and then, you know, you walk downstairs and uh, them guys are fabricating million dollar machines. So uh, (laughs) pretty overwhelming. Yeah. So let's go back. I want to like with all my racers, I want to always get like a picture of like, you know, where you grew up, what your childhood was like, you know, what your family did for a living, kind of paint the picture. Yeah. So um, you know, we have a connection from, from when I was, you know, originally started racing sportsmen and, um, you guys had come down and we had two cars. I think it was a, a few years into my sportsman career that, yeah. um, you had run the, the one at Maryville. That was, that was so. my first race car race. Like yeah. I come out of a go-kart <laughs> and that was like, all right, I got like 10 laps practice and then it's like, okay, we're, we're racing. And it's the first time in a race car. Yeah. That's <laughs> the dirt stuff's totally different like that. Like you don't get a lot of practice. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, it started my dad. Um, my dad started Bicknell racing products, um, with Pete, you know, back, uh, 1988. And, um, yeah, that's progressed to probably, you know, one of the leading Canadian manufacturers for, for race car chassis, um, and parts, but, um, 
I raced go-karts, you know, around home when I was, when I was five, six, seven, up until when I was 14, then I got a sportsman car and, and um, go-karts being dirt oval. Yeah. You know, dirt oval. And we didn't travel very often. Um, you know, for the most part, we raced right around home and, um, I, I ventured into asphalt one weekend and I still remember it like it was yesterday. It's a pretty funny story. We um we went to Chapel Hill Speedway. I don't know if you've ever been there. I, I no, I've never been. Yeah, there. So it's down near uh, Holiday Valley in Ellicottville. Yeah. Um, we went down with a with a family friend uh, that owned a car, and um, me and Pete's daughter Kristen actually split the split the car. I was racing in the younger division. She was racing in the older division, and um, it was kind of a, you know, you look back at it now, and it was a cluster, but um you know, the guy that owned the car, I don't think he was very mechanically smart. Uh, so we went out for practice and blew a motor up because there was no oil in the motor. <laughs> and, uh, we put our spare motor on and you think that you'd check the oil in it and, uh, blew that one up. So then he rented a motor off of a guy and, and we actually blew that one up because there was no oil in that one either. So we blew three <laughs> motors up because of the lack of oil that he put in the motor and, or, or didn't put in the motor. And, um, that was the only time I ever raced a go-kart on Asheville other than, you know, going to like GoPro when you're in Charlotte and yeah. playing around with your buddies. But, um, yeah, for the most part, that was, that was my asphalt career. And, um, so we did, we did the dirt stuff and, uh, then went sportsman racing. And when I was 19, we got a modified and, um, just slowly picked away at trying to make it make it happen you know make it make a living out of it and um i still think to this day my dad is is uh against me trying to race for a living Ah. but um yeah he he was he was one of the biggest you know dejectors on me racing for a living but sure uh, sure fortunately for me i got i got you know hooked up with some good people and um you know i would never be able to do 85 90 races a year with my own stuff so right um you know, we, I have a great program, but you know, Wayne Con at SNW service center, he's helped me out, uh, tremendously and, and made my program, you know, better than it ever was. And, um, you know, I got a good group of people on my own stuff, so I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that I wouldn't be able to, I mean, I'm sure that we, we could make it happen, well, but it's a lot of weekends. It is. And it's a lot of, a lot of maintenance in between, you know, we were talking about, you know, the maintenance between a road course car and a dirt car and, um, on the Pinty series. And, you know, we got to go. Uh, from Lebanon Valley to Weedsport, which you know, the dirt stuff, Lebanon Valley is a half mile high banked. Um, the, you know, the fastest place we go to in Weedsport's a three eighths of a mile, little, you know, slippery bull ring. So, um, realistically you have to have two different cars to go to those two different places, you know, night after night, one's on a Sunday, one's on a Monday on the series. So, right. uh, makes it tough to, to do it, you know, with one car. Yeah. So how many races you run last year? I think around 75. Okay. Um, obviously, you know. And how the, many weekends is that? Every weekend. We, but we, like, no, no, but it's more than every weekend. But how over like what, you know, so, six months, seven months? Yeah, we start, you know, this coming year, we're going to start at Alltech February 6th. Um, Where's that? Uh, in Florida. Okay. So then we go from Alltech to Volusia. And I think we have two weeks off. And then we start back up at Port Royal in March. And from March 15th to November 10th, we race every weekend, uh, at least Friday and Saturday. That's, uh, that's like the norm, but you know, there's a, there's a stretch in July where we'll race, um, you know, it's nothing for us to race 20 times in 24 days. So, uh, Holy cow. yeah, it's, you, you travel not as far as you guys would on the Pinty series, but you know, we travel from, 
um, Ransomville on a Friday we'd start off with, and then possibly, you know, Canada on a Saturday, and then um, just work your way down the 90 all the way through Syracuse and, you know, all the way to, you know, into Albany, and then you work your way back, and, and uh, next thing you know, you're at home for a couple of days. You get to cut the grass and get back on the road. That's awesome. So you make the jump from carts um, to to the full-size modifieds, called modifieds, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah yep. Um and then when when does it start to click for you or or are you like a couple of things like you know were you successful enough in carts where you're like oh, okay I'm going to be a race car driver like I'm going to I'm going to do this for a living or when did that mindset happen I never really had it you know it's it's funny you ask that because I was I was good at go-karts but it was local it wasn't sure. like I was you know going to Europe and racing right. you know carts in Europe it was uh it was all local stuff and we and we won a lot of races in go-karts, but we didn't really race against the best carters. Right, so it wouldn't be like a real matchup where you're like, oh, I'm good. Yeah, It's, it's like, okay, I'm getting experience. It's very tough to compare, yeah. you know, and you don't know how good you are until you hit the road. I yeah. mean, that's that's how you judge yourself in a race car is, you know, you go and race against the best in, in the division you're in, and, and that's how you know how you stack up. But um, I, it, I wasn't that good in sportsman racing um, and really modified racing. I... I I followed a, a certain shock brand and um, we were very loyal to them. And I think that that hurt my career at the beginning because mm. um, we were almost at a disadvantage at first. And then um, we switched to Integra's uh, after we got a big block and, and, you know, started going down the road. And So explain the difference between a sportsman and a big block for, you know, guys. So same, don't. same chassis, same running gear for the most part. Um, some of the sportsmen now run like an eight inch rear end instead of a, uh, instead of a nine inch. And, you know, they're trying to make everything lighter, but, um, a sportsman is a 602 GM crate motor, um, whereas a big block is a, is a built, you know, 427 or a 454. Um, you know, there's different different variations in how people how different people build them. But um, and what's the difference in horsepower? I don't know what a 602 crate motor would make. I would think around three between 300 and 400, whereas sure. a big block makes you know a good big block will make 900 horsepower. So Jeez. yeah, and they're they're same tires, same front end, same rear end. Um, the dirt sportsmen, they have to race on steel-bodied shocks, and um, a big block stuff fits pretty much an open shock rule. You can't have adjustable shocks, but um, other than that, the, the running gear is pretty much the same. So it, it it makes it interesting because you have to hook up that power with the same car that a sportsman right. know, is racing with. On dirt. Yeah, so um, we went big block racing. We, we raced at Ranceville, and we had an altercation. They suspended us. I think we were fighting with somebody or you know something but uh they suspended us so we went down the road and raced a big block at Lernerville and um, where's that Pennsylvania so okay. it, was, it was three and a half hours four hours from my house every Friday night and um cut our teeth down there we won a lot of races at Lernerville and got good but then we would we would go from Lernerville to Canada Egg on Saturdays and, and where's that uh that's near Syracuse so it okay. was it was six hours in between the two racetracks okay. from Friday to Saturday uh, I bought a toter home and we stayed on the side of the road you know for the whole summer. Um, but, but the, the competition was, was totally different from one to the other. And the racetracks were totally different. Lernerville, if you have a good car, you can go to the front Canada, Agua, you know, it's, it, it's harder to pass. So, um, that was a pretty big eye opener. And we just did that for, for two years and, um, you know, kind of found my own and, you know, worked on the car more and, and, you know, spent more time trying to learn and, mm. um, just made me better. And fortunately we had a, couple good runs with our own car and um 
you know, opened the eyes of, of Jeff Barrett and we got to go race the short track super series with him. And we had never had that opportunity before. We didn't have American racer tires. We didn't have sail panels and open motors. So, um, we got to do that and we had a couple good runs with him and, um, that got the, the buzz chew ride and the, the Coco Wentz type ride. Right. So you're running sportsman and then you make, you, you go to the big block and again, I want to, I want to ask you again though, like when is it, um, you know, is it after high school? Like you got to make, decide to make a living doing something. Right. And is it slowly like, okay, I'm, I'm going to make a living racing or is it, are you working another job at the same time? Yeah, I was working, um, I, I worked construction for a couple of years, um, in Hamilton and you know, that was, I, I worked for my dad growing up. So, so we'll go back. I, I worked for my dad growing in up in the race stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I would that go to deal. BRP when I was 11 or 12 years old and, yep. um, spring body panels at night, file the corners on the aluminum, you know, just the little stuff that a kid could do at that point. And, um, you know, I mean, you work with family, it's, yeah. it's tough at times when, when, you know, you shouldn't, you wouldn't say something to your normal boss, but you'll say it to your father. So, so that makes, uh, makes it tough. So I ended up going and working construction and, um, did that for two or three years after and, high school. Uh, this was, yeah, after, right after high school, yep. uh, after college, I went to, went to school to be a police officer. So mm. I went and did construction and then, um, you know, just said, I'm going to go back and work for, for a family and, and try and try and do this, you know, try and take racing more seriously. And, mm. um, you know, as you get better in a race car, the money doesn't make, you know, you don't need to make the mo- Monday to Friday money. You, you, you're making more on Saturday. So, um, it seemed like, you know, one year I'd take two days off a week. The next year I was taking three days off a week and, um, it just progressed into, into not going to work at all. And, right. um, you know, focusing more on, you know, if you go home and grind tires and sipe tires and work on shocks and springs and you win on Saturday, you're going to make twice as much as you could staying at work and not doing that stuff and trying to go to the racetrack. So, right. Um, and you were going to the racetrack regardless. So. Yeah, I was yeah. going anyway. So, um, it just made it. And now I couldn't imagine as many races as we do working, you know, eight to eight to five thirty or whatever it would be. But, um, yeah, even, you know, days like this, you know, how hard did we, we had yeah. to get to connect. It was, we were talking for months to try and, to try and find time to do this. And, um, just seems like, you know, tomorrow we're, I'm delivering a car for the Buzz Chew team. Friday, we're going to the dyno, you know, Saturday, I'm going to work on, uh, getting some tires mounted for Florida. So your days are all planned out. You have, you know, full days of work to do, but, um, but you're working kind of for yourself. Yeah. You're doing it on your own. You know, yeah. you can you can uh, kind of plan your time a little better. So explain all the different teams that are set, set out all the different teams that you run for and how that, that operates and how many cars you run in a season. It's, it was tough at first. Um, the first year I got the, the buzz chew ride, um, and, Orange County had a, that, and who's that like, and who's that? What's that's that team? the super dirt series team. Okay. So that it worked out good that, that Jeff Barrett and Harry Barrett, they, they had really focused on, um, racing all the races in Orange County Speedway, which is close to them, and um, in Middletown, New York. It's a pretty historic. I think it's been around for like 102 years or oh, wow. 103 years. Yeah, it's one of the oldest running uh, facilities in, in North America. But um, So they had they had focus on just doing that and the Short Track Super Series. And and even when I didn't have the Buzz 2 ride, we didn't do any other races other than that. So mm. um, Whereas Buzz, he wanted to do the Super Dirt Series. So um, it worked out good that they kind of wanted to do different things. 
Um, but the first year that I was racing for buzz, orange County put up a race that paid a hundred thousand dollars to win. So, um, of course everybody wants to do that. Right. But it was at Jeff's home track and it meant a lot to Jeff. Harry had won the Eastern States race there. And, um, you know, that, that race meant a lot. So that, that took some, some juggling to try and, you know, make it so that everybody was happy. And, um, you know, we merged the two teams together and spot who's the crew chief for the buzz shoe team. Um, he came and helped and, um, we ended up winning the, the race and, um, everybody was happy and, and it, it was really like a fairy tale, but that was really the only time that I had to juggle, you the know, conflict. the conflicts. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we race those two cars. Um, each of those teams probably have three or four cars. Okay. Um, Jeff has different cars for different motors. So that's, you know, some places we go to, you know, quarter mile bow rings, you want to bring a smaller motor. Sometimes you want to bring a bigger motor. And then at the end of the year, we're going to race Eastern States at Orange County for him, which is a big block race. So you need to have three different motor combinations and three different cars for that because you can't be swapping these motors, you know, day to day. Um, whereas Buzz has, you know, three three big blocks. It's it's solely, you know, we go down to Charlotte, he's going to bring two big block cars and um, that's big block racing only. And then we got a small block ride uh, with the Coco Wentz team, which is based in Ransomville. And we just raced that, um, really just at Ransomville on Friday nights. So that's more of a weekly deal. We raced, um, we raced us. We at the end of the year for super dirt week with them and, um, ended up winning the small block race. And, um, that was kind of a, a deal together with, with my own team. And, um, I know my dad and Wayne Conn owned the motor in that car. And, um, then we have, you know, I have my own stuff. It's, uh, so that your own stuff is the fourth team. My own stuff is the fourth team, which that's, um, I pay all the tire bills and fuel bills and admission. And, um, you know, I got to pay if I screw that car up. So, um, (laughs) that one, that one works a little different. Uh, obviously I have great partners with that. You know, Wayne, I keep saying Wayne's name, Rob Swatsky, uh, my dad, there's a, there's a pretty big team effort on, right. on making that car for a lot around. of years now. Right? Yeah. Yeah. That's been, that's been since, um, I think Wayne come on board about 2019 or 2009, I should say when I was 19. Yeah. Um, and you know, helps us out year after year after year and makes, um, he's a big part of our motor program makes, makes our, uh, makes our motors, you know, so that we can go and, and know we got the best of the best going into the races. Right. So, man, like it's just it's just such a different world than almost any other form of racing. Like to, you, you're running four teams. You've got whatever twelve car different cars you're running. You know you're running. What did you say in in a twenty eight day stretch? You're running twenty races. The sometimes yeah yeah sometimes more than that. Sometimes twenty in in twenty four days. So okay, so let's let's contrast here for like anyone who doesn't know. I'm going to contrast uh, an average sports car weekend to a, a night at, at, at the dirt race. So the average sports car weekend, you roll in Wednesday, unload, set up your scales, one practice, maybe two practices. Then Thursday, you do two practices. Then Friday, you do a practice and a qualifying. Then Saturday, you do a, a warm-up and then a pre-final. And then Sunday, you do the final and then you go home. What is a, like a Saturday night like for you guys? What time do you roll in? That's that like the way you described it is kind of you know how we do Super Dirt Week. We get there on uh, Tuesday. We have a race Tuesday night, and then we spend all the time at Oswego practicing, qualifying, and then doing doing the races. Now we do two divisions. So, but we, how many races are you doing in that time? The, Super Dirt Week, you only well, 
you do you do heat races, heat races, yeah, okay, and yeah. then two two features. So two heat races, two features, and then we have um, the satellite shows at Burton. But um, a normal night, we we get to the racetrack, you know, Ranceville on a Friday night. I'll get to the racetrack at five thirty. Um, hot laps are at six thirty, so we'll get some heat in the motor and uh, go out for hot laps at six thirty. And our heat races usually roll out about seven thirty, eight o'clock, and our features, you know, usually done by ten. So um, that's it. That, you know, the biggest thing I find is like. I talked to, you know, you and um, a lot of guys that I know that race asphalt. You know, I'm pretty good friends with John Cadman. I don't know if you know John. He, uh, I know the name. I he raced uh, pro late models and, okay. and um, super late models in, in Ontario. And, you know, we we're talking about how much the races pay and, you know, how much right. tires you go through. So for us, like, we can, we can race uh, three races on a left rear. And, and this is, you know, my stuff. I mean, I probably replace them more than what, most people do, but right. I'll, I'll do probably five races on a right front. I'll do a whole season on a left front unless you hit something. Um, and a right rear, you can usually get two races on it depending on the racetrack. So, wow. so our tire bills are, are not that much. Our fuel bills aren't that much. And, and we race for, you know, anywhere weekly between 1500 to win and 2500 to win. So you can cover your costs and then some, you know, the, yeah, legitimately, you can legitimately yeah. make money you know, if you run good, so even just weekly. Yeah. And yeah. everybody asks me, you know, do you, do you want to go and race, uh, sprint cars or do you want to go and race, you know, the Pinty stuff? And, um, really I'm, I'm making money racing what I'm doing right now. And, yeah. and it's hard to say, yeah, I'll stop making money and I'll pay you to race your car to, to make money do, or to, to try and make a living doing that. I just, it's, uh, it's stuff. I don't know how other people do it. Obviously the sprint car stuff, if you're, you know, Mike Bowman ran really good this year and, and probably made money, you know, winning the 30,000 wins yep. and stuff like that. But he won every big sprint car race this year and still didn't win what we would have won at Oswego at the end of the year. So, right. um, it's, it's tricky racing when you've got things going on and you're, you're, you've got, got enough that you can make a living doing it, it's really hard to want to do something different. Oh, for sure. No, it'd be crazy to step away from a career that you've built for whatever the last 25 years. Um, man, and looking through your pictures on Facebook, dude, I see you every like weekend with a check that's like 25 grand, 50 grand, 100 grand, 10 grand, 10 grand, 10 grand. Like, do you, did you tally up what your payout was this year? Uh, no, I, I, Tax you time. January first is tax time. I'm sure I'm going to get. Uh, I'm sure I'm going to get a pretty big balance of what I owe the government. But uh, I know, you know, Oswego, we won seventy five or seventy six thousand in the two races. It was one day uh, because of rain. Um, but a couple of years ago, when we won Oswego, we won like a hundred and something thousand in in one week because we had won Weedsport, Brewerton, uh, the big block race, and you know the qualifiers were four grand or five grand or whatever they were. So. That was a good week, and the Centennial week we won a hundred grand doing that. So, I mean, dirt modified racing—it's—it's it's almost you know a protected little area where yeah everybody that's in it knows that we're we're we've got a pretty good thing going on, and um, yeah, we're we're pretty fortunate. Obviously, you know, it starts with the fans getting in the gate, and right, um, and and where does that money come from? It, we recently, you know, Dirt Vision and Flow have have signed on to broadcast all these big races and. Um, I think streaming money is, is pretty huge. Mm. Whereas we, in Canada, it's, there's not really many streaming, you know, services for yep. races other than, you know, the Pinty stuff's on yep. TSN, but, um, and Oshwigan does their sprint car stuff on YouTube, but I don't think like, like flow, you know, obviously they pay prescriptions and 
like this week I'm a I'm a flow subscriber. So this week they got the Gateway Dirt Nationals, yeah. at, you know, down in St. Louis, and I'm excited to watch that. So obviously I'm paying to watch that, and I can't go. I wouldn't have I would have invested zero dollars going to that race, but I get to pay for flow and watch those races. So yeah. I think that 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 money has has made modified racing. Um, and sprint car racing, late model racing, you know, most of the dirt stuff that that's made it, you know, taking it to the next level. Hmm. Yeah. It's so funny that like, unless you grow up in that world, you know, and the, the broader world is, Oh, Oh, you want to be a race car driver and make a living. Okay. What are you going to race? IndyCar, F1 or NASCAR? You know, no one, no one outside, outside of the world understands that man, like this is a legitimate path to go make really good money. If, if you can do it, you can go do it, you know, on dirt or like a Bubba Pollard or someone like that. Like you can, you can go do that and you don't have to race cup. Yeah. It, it seems like to me, and I don't know if I'm right here because I don't really follow the, the asphalt stuff a ton. Right. Like I, we were talking downstairs and I follow the Pinty stuff when when it's on TV and, sure. and TSN does a good job. Because it's at, on TSN. Yeah, it, yeah, it's like, you know, you're in the garage building body panels. It's easy to just turn it on and watch the race. But um, it seems to me like, you know, the guys that are coming into NASCAR have funding behind them. And there's, I, I see it as like a lot of good NASCAR drivers are losing rides because they, they're losing the funding, you know, and, and or the funding was cut back. And that's, that's a different mentality for me. Like, I, I really don't, I don't want to support that. And I, I don't think that that's how a sport should mm. be. I feel like, you know, if, if you're a, a very good race car driver at, at what you do, you, you should be able to reap the benefits of that and not have to bring along a bunch of money to do it. So, yeah, um, that's always the way that I've seen it. You know, fans ask questions all the time, you know, do you have aspirations to do this and do that and do this and do that? And I don't see the benefits for me or the benefits for the car owner to, to hire me to race their car when I'm not proven in doing that right. and, and pay me the money that I'm going to want to race it. And I, it's ignorant of me to say, you know, I'll go race a late model, but you got to pay me to do it. Like that's, that's but it's the fact of the matter. Right? It's, but, it's how you're making a living. Yeah. And you know, um, they've had sprint car offers to go race before, but there was never conversations about how much I was getting paid. And at the end of the day, I'm not going to miss a race that pays 1500 where I can make 800 bucks for winning or 600 bucks to win to go sprint car racing where I'm not going to make anything, you know? Right. So, um, it's just, a. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if it makes me ignorant to, to think like that, but, uh, it's just how I, I've been fortunate enough to, to, to grow the mindset of that. Yeah, no. And, and it was, it's the mandatory mindset if you're going to make a living doing it, you know, you've got a, you're running a business. Exactly. You know, and I, I started doing some body work on the side, you know, in the wintertime to make a little bit of money just to, to, have that income between December and, and February. Um, fortunately this year we, we won enough races that it wasn't such a worry, but you know, that's the, the thing that always sits in the back of your mind as a, as a driver that does it for a living is like, what do you fall back on? You mm -hmm. know, when, if, if tomorrow the rides that I have go away, then what do I do? You know? So that's, that's like the negative part of it and that the, the mindset that you have to worry about. Um, so that's why I invested in, some tooling to be able to try and make a little bit of a little bit of money when the racing stuff goes away. Right. Right. And I think that's just the nature of, of any pro athlete, right? Like, you know, there's a longevity to it and you know, they, you know, whatever, take an, pick an example. Like if, you know, 
you do something stupid on social media and the sponsors go away, the ripcord's pulled from you right away. Um, or whatever you're, you know, you don't run for the same teams anymore and it goes away. But I mean, I guess that's the price you pay for getting to, getting to be a pro athlete. Yeah. You, you do you consider at, yourself a pro athlete? Uh, I don't know. I don't know <laughs> if I'm like, I would consider that obviously, you know, when, when you go and apply, I was at, um, Mark's work warehouse buying, you know, work boots the other day and they, <laughs> yeah. they wanted you to apply for a credit card and you get like 15% off or whatever it was. So I know my bill was going to be like 400 bucks. I'm like, yeah, I'll apply for the credit card, credit whatever. Card. Give me 15% <laughs> off. So they're asking you all these questions, like what you do for a living. And I just say, you know, I'm self-employed. And yeah. then it comes to the question where like, what do you, what are do you, you self-employed making clothing? Are you self-employed like in construction? I just told them entertainment and my fiance, Natalie was sitting beside or standing beside me at the counter and the girl kind of looked at me funny and I'm like, I'm a stripper. Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, to, Cause they, they, I get paid in cash on Saturday yeah, nights. Yeah. <laughs> like you don't know what to say. You know, you say race car driver and people like look at you funny. Like, yeah, okay. That's, that's what every nine year old boy wanted <laughs> to say when they were growing up. So, yeah. um, I just kind of make light of it and try and make people laugh now. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you run this summer, you run like 75 races and I looked up your stats before this. You had a stupid winning percentage. How many, how many races did you win this year? Uh, 31, 30. We, we actually, you know, myself and Matt Shepard, um, were first and second in the super dirt series points. Matt's like the goat and dirt modified racing right now. And, um, Going into Charlotte, I was one win ahead of him. Like, there's a Northeast thing where if you win the most races, you get, like, a trip to Atlantic City. Or it used to be like that in a cover area auto or okay. whatever it would be. And uh, we were one win ahead of going into Charlotte. And Charlotte's, like, a, a home turf advantage for me because we always ran good there. Uh, and he ended up winning two races. So he won 32 and we won 31 this year. Okay. So um, Second. Second in the, okay. in the most wins and the modified stuff. But uh, still really good. I mean, I'm proud of everybody that was a part of it. It's a, it's a huge, huge team that, um, makes this deal happen. Right. And then I guess going back to the, um, you know, how you, how you conceptualize, um, your, you know, how you're going to, how much money you're going to make in the season. Like we, you know, we look at it in the Pinty's deal. It's like, okay, it's going to cost X number per race on average. Do you, do you have a number what it costs you guys to go run a race? Um, I mean, it doesn't sound like it, like too much in tires no, we, and you're uh, not tearing the stuff up. I guess you factor in engine rebuilds and stuff. Yeah, that, that stuff, like you try and get sponsorship throughout the year to pay for like the engine rebuilds. And, you know, if you got to buy our new rear end, you, you don't factor that stuff in. Right. Um, so you're trying to run that stuff through sponsors like, hey, like, like itemize, like, okay, I'm going to. Yeah, have a rebuild. Like, can you pay for my rebuild? Yeah, or or generate enough money coming in through sponsorship that you don't end up having to take out of your winnings. Got it. Um, Got it. Okay. But it um it it usually works out to be like between ten and fifteen dollars a lap. Okay. Um, to go weekly racing, like to close to home. By the time you add the diesel fuel in the truck, getting there, the, your admission fees. Obviously, everything changes. Sometimes you could have four crew guys. Sometimes you can have seven. So that's an extra expense. Um, and hot, know, and do hot dogs at this snack bar. Some, <laughs> some crew guys eat a little bit more hot dogs than the others. So, uh, and if you win, you stop for beers on the way home. Yeah. And then that bill gets added into it. So, um, but yeah, g generally, like to race, say Ranceville on a Friday night, you're looking at maybe, you know, six, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars yep. uh in expenses. Um that's that's covering everything. Fuel, tires, 
uh, motor rebuilds. Um, obviously, the wear and tear on the race car. You know, at the end of the year, you're going to replace the frame. You don't. That's that's part of it. But yeah. Um, and it's it's fifteen hundred to win. So and it's I think eight hundred per second. So if you don't finish in the top two, you're not making money. Right. Um, but if you win one night, say just for for BS and say it's seven fifty to to go there every sat every Friday night. Um, you win 1500. If you win, you're paying for two weeks of, of racing. So anything on top of that is, is extra, but, um, I'm not very good with finances. So sure, sure. I, yeah, you just keep yeah, winning and then yeah, it's not a problem. There's right? probably people that'll watch this and, and say, uh, say, you know, he's talking crazy, but, but <laughs> yeah. for the most part, we were talking about cost of tires, you know, um, tires keep going up. It's damn near, you know, $400, $350 for a tire now. Yeah. Um, fuels, fuels going up. You know, it seems like it's plateaued and it's kind of as expensive as it's ever going to be. I can't imagine spending any more money on fuel, but they keep oil money. So she'll keep going. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> unfortunately, and um, the price of everything's gone up. Frames, cars, rear ends, motors. Um, it's a it's a tough sport. I hope that I hope that the longevity of the sport um, continues to grow. And I think that you know the people getting involved in the sport needs to keep growing, but at the, the rate that the inflation and the cost of everything is, mm. it's, it's tough to see a future that's very bright for the sport. As far as, as far as like car counts, like guys showing up to go racing. Yeah. yeah. And, and everything, you know, every, every form of motorsports is, is generated by money and, um, you know, everything's expensive. I just, you know, I hope that, I hope that we can all figure out something, you know, asphalt, dirt, sprint cars, late models, doesn't matter. I hope that we can all figure out something that makes the sport, um, you know, at appeasing to people that, that want to keep, keep joining and, mm-hmm. you know, be car owners down the road or, right. you know, be involved with it. You know, even crew guys, you know, it's, it's tough for somebody to pay for a crew guy to get into the races on Saturday nights. Uh, and then is a crew guy going to come and, and pay his own way in to work on your race car? You know, probably not. So right. the whole thing is, is getting expensive during COVID racetracks started charging more to get in the pits and because they couldn't have fans. And when the fans came back, they never got rid of that charge. It was always, you know, it seems like the normal now is 40 bucks to get into a dirt track. So um, everything just keeps going up. And I hope that at some point we, we all realize that we got to do something about it. But right. But I mean, you know, it sounds like your little, like your world there is in the best position where, you know, it, it, it can actually make sense. You show up, you win the race. It makes sense. How much do those races pay to win? Like the average, the race. average race, I think, uh, I think it's like ten, eleven grand. That blows my mind. Like, yeah. and you're there for how many days? Uh, most of them are one day. Oh, okay. so the NASCAR is good. Like all the, you know, all my buddies who race sports cars who are like, yeah, we're at the same race weekend, and they roll in like Tuesday night. Yeah. <laughs> we we show up Saturday morning, and they're laughing at us, thinking we're like the dirt guys, like just rolling in late. But we still get practice and qualifying, and yeah, you know, it's still a, a weekend deal, but like. So, and, you know, I'm sure, I think the numbers for like IndyCar are a hundred times more abysmal, you know, what they pay to win like Iowa or something compared to the cost to go run that stuff. And so it becomes just completely sponsorship driven. And that's why you see these guys, you know, who are anyone in the truck series, you know, they're bringing a big check. Yep. It's, you know, either someone's dad or they own a company with leverage and they can do a B2B deal and the kickback goes to racing. Right. So, I mean, you know, you grow up and 
if you're a half decent racer and you start to look at how am I going to make a living doing this, I don't think enough people are exposed to, hey, man, in the dirt world, if you go and win, you're making money, which is like unheard of Yeah, in, in almost every other form of motorsports. It, it blows my mind that people are, people are blind to that, you know, and um, I actually, you know, we're talking about how the, the sport of, or the future of the sport is going forward. Um, so high limit just started a sprint car series and, uh, in the dirt world, that's like massive that they're going to compete with the world outlaws. And, um, I think they have a four year plan or a three year plan that, um, basically like the long story short of it is if, if you finish in the top, if you, if you sign on to race the whole series this year and you finish in the top five in points, you're guaranteed a charter, uh, for the following year. And by, t- by the third year, they want to give the chartered teams, uh, 50% of the streaming revenue. Oh, wow. So, and that's, that's so charter, huge. like a cup, like a cup charter. Yeah. Okay. But you have to earn it. Like, yep. I think the cup stuff is you all sold it. and bought. And, yeah. Um, the, the high limit deal, they're going to, they're going to make you earn it. And that's, uh, that's a business plan that I think that is good, you know, for the, for the future. It's, yeah. it's something that, you know, you, you have to go and you have to race now and you have to spend the money now and hopefully, it turns into something where the charter, you know, gives gives the teams back the money that they spend to go on the road. So that's that maybe maybe that's what we need. You know, mm-hmm. maybe we need to split the streaming revenues up. Or um, I'm not sure what the TSN contract is for uh, the Pinties deal. It's on TSN all the time, but um, maybe that's what what needs to happen between the race teams to make it profitable because. It, I just don't see people lining up to do it. You know, it's not like, yeah, it's yeah. not like they're sending cars home, you know, even weekly racing there's in dirt racing too, where it is, you know, where you can make some money if you run good. It's still, there's, there's 18 cars weekly, 19 cars weekly. Now you go to a bigger race and there's 75, 80 cars at dirt week. So, um, how many guys make the main at dirt week? I think they start 40 cars. So I think they qualify 35 and then five are given out on provisionals. You know, whether it's somebody that signed on to to follow the whole series throughout the year, doesn't make the race or a past champion, or I'm not sure how they do it, but fortunately for us, we haven't had to rely on those, those late start or late starting positions. But, um, but man, 30 guys pack up and go home. Yeah. And, and the sportsman division, I think that even more, you know, maybe, maybe they had 120 cars this year. And I think that, 30 started that race too. So 90 guys went home. Wow. Which is, it's pretty wild to think of, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's cool. It's a, it's a little bit of a double-edged sword, you know, <laughs> you drive all the way to Quebec city or something and then you got to go home. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's where you've got to protect your own guys. You know, the guys yeah. that like, if you're coming from, from here to Quebec city, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed that you're going to start the race. Right. And, um, you hope that, Obviously, you don't want to rely on the guaranteed starters. Now, I've I've had to use a couple because we blew a motor up in Quebec. We had to use, we blew one up in the heat race, and then we were starting deep in the Concy, and you know, just we only have one car at that point because the other car is sitting in the trail with a blown up motor. So, you kind of want to protect it and just start at the back, and um, you rely on that guaranteed starter, right? right? So, how much of your time, if any, um, you know, I'm sure now that you've got this, you know awesome career and, and huge winning percentage it's not as hard but maybe back in the you know a couple of years back how much time were you spending finding sponsorship was that actually a big part of it uh for me fortunately rob swatsky he um he has good partners with like you know what he does for business um 
So I think that a lot of it came from that. And, mm. and, and my end of it was just keeping them happy, you know, going, going at the end of the year and going and talking to these people and thanking them and, um, giving them a gift, whether it's a picture or a, a plaque, you know, this year we got model cars made up with all these people's names on them and, you know, our uh, stats from the year. And I made up like a little side panel kind of thing. But, um, for the most part, once you get them, you need to keep them happy and try and keep them so that they see why they're giving you all this money. You know, yeah. if you don't, if you don't communicate and you don't talk to these people and, um, you don't, you don't express your gratitude, they're, they're probably not going to come back and it's money they don't have to spend. You know, most of them get nothing out of it. Wayne Con owns a service center garage towing business. And I think that, you know, he gets my, my family and my friends, you know, going there for, for work on their car or gasoline. But for the most part, you know, the return on the dollar probably isn't very high. So, um, got to keep it so that they enjoy and same with crew guys you know you got to keep it so that they enjoy going to the races or else they're not going to do it they all do it for fun so um it makes it to the point where you know you got to be a pretty pretty personable person and you know even when you're mad and i i'm very guilty of it in the garage when things aren't going the way we we went to fire up a motor a couple weeks ago and the starter was uh, getting stuck so with a dirt modified you would have to pull the motor and change the shims on the back of the flywheel and um I'm looking at this thing and I'm like, man, I don't want to pull this motor. So I got all moody and, you know, everybody, we had a beer at the end of it and, you know, the guys that were still there, we were, we were BSing about it and laughing at me because I was moody over it. And I had to reach out for the guys that weren't there and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I was an asshole tonight, (laughs) you know? So, but yeah, it's funny. Huh? Uh, I assume you don't do any eye racing because you're racing fricking every minute of the the day. I have never done uh, eye racing. I, I, um, during COVID, uh, my one crew guy, Corby, he, uh, he started an iRacing league for, for dirt modifieds and he was busting my nuts pretty hard about, about joining it. And, um, I think the the biggest thing for me is I didn't have very good internet service at my house. So yeah. it was always like, it's going to be a fight. It's going to be a battle the whole time I try and do this. I don't even have internet that can stream Netflix. How am I going to oh, yeah, do yeah. iRacing? So now I'm on, I'm on Bell five and it's better internet, but I don't have time to, to yeah. get a computer. I don't even have a computer. I have a I have the same laptop as you just for keeping um, books and uh, keeping track of how much money's coming in and out throughout the year, but that's all I use that for. That's uh it's my business stuff. Right, right. Yeah, you get enough reps every whatever Wednesday to Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, this time of year when you're when you're not racing so often, you you wanna maybe do I racing might keep you mm. in tune with things, but um, you know what I find works a lot, like when I went to Florida, is uh, snowmobiling. Like if I went snowmobiling, you know, three or four weeks ahead of going racing, it just keeps your mind in tune with going fast and, and being sharp and kind of keeps you in shape. So I yeah. thought that that kind of helped. But um, you ride a, you ride a sled up up here? Yeah, I I do uh, probably anywhere between two thousand three thousand miles a year. This year's gonna be different because I'm getting married in January, but okay, uh, and racing Florida for two weeks instead of one, but. Uh, I, I love snowmobile and I, I would do it year round if I could, if I could race snowmobiles for a living, I'm sure that would be, uh, that's probably like my dream, right? Really? Eh? Yeah. I love snowmobile racing. I don't think it pays as much. No, no. <laughs> we actually, me and Mike Bowman, we were, we were talking, you know, just BSing back and forth. We were going to do the I 500. I don't know if you've seen that. No. What it's is a snowmobile race in Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, okay. um, on a mile long uh, built racetrack. They build it on like a, I think it's a, I think it's an airport. Um, and they do 500 laps. So oh. on a snowmobile, I think they start at like, 
nine or 10 in the morning and, and end up, uh, you know, and end up racing until seven or eight at night. So it's pretty wild. It's fall uh, off the sled. Yeah. I think they switch drivers. I think they have two or three drivers, uh, but yeah, they, they do pit stops. They change skis. Uh, (laughs) it's, it's pretty wild. It's on flow racing. So if you get a chance to check it out, that it's only seven hours from here. We were, we were talking about doing that, but I think the the odds of either one of us getting hurt, Doing oh, pretty it is high. pretty high. So a week before Florida where you can actually go down there and try and make real money is probably not a smart idea. Oh, man. Man, oh, man. Yeah, the snowmobiling stuff is so dangerous. You know, like how many stories do you know of guys just absolutely bitten one on the trail? And- oh, yeah. Or, you know, going across ice and sinking a sled and getting getting sucked underneath the ice. And it's... um. Along with anything, though, right? You drive down the road, half these drivers up here in Canada don't know how to drive. You're probably at a higher risk of getting hurt on a racetrack, but... um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Like, the cars, they're so safe nowadays, and you got got a Hans device, you got pretty good... Like, it fires one thing, but, you know, I'm sure... I guess, what's your biggest wreck? You ever had any scary ones? Um, I had a, a bolt break in a caliper at Orange County, and... It's a it's a five eighths mile racetrack, flatter, not really high banking, um, and, and dirt. We don't have safer barriers or anything like that. And right. I had a caliper, uh, the the bolt that holds the the pads in the caliper broke, so the pads fell out. <sighs> and when I went to get on the brakes, obviously every bit of brake pressure went towards the pistons in that one caliper that didn't have pads. And um, basically, I hit the wall head on at the end of the straightaway without any brakes and flipped the car over. That was probably the biggest wreck. Um, but I got out. I was, I was fine. And no concussion. No, or anything? no. I've had a few concussions racing, I think from hitting the wall at different sports spots, but um, now I don't know if they build helmets better now than they did 10 or 12 probably. years ago, but it seems like now my head is better than it was. Um, I got in a car accident when I was 16. Like uh, on the street. Yeah. From fall to my own, I hit a tree and, uh, got a concussion from that, and I think that like in that time when I was racing, the concussions came easier. Like mm. I, I would get, you know, into a wreck, and then I'd have headaches for a couple of weeks. But uh, nowadays, it seems like even when I got in that wreck, I'd, I think for the most part, my shoulders were sore and from the Hans Weiss, but my head was was pretty good. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, that's the biggest thing, right? In racing, is getting a big concussion and then doing it again in in a short period of time, right? Yeah, yeah. It's almost like you know, boxing or fighting, you know our dirt dirt modified racing our heads you know seem to bounce on the headrests and and you know talking about helmets getting better seats have gotten better seats, the, yeah the, the the padding that they're using on the headrest now is is a little bit softer like i think a few years ago it was almost hard to the point where like you were better off just hitting aluminum so um they've made it better kirky's made better seats and you know helmets have gotten better so i think that that is one good aspect of the sport. I think that as the time goes on, we make it safer and safer, and um, maybe we can make it cheaper and cheaper as we go. Dude, I don't know. Ten bucks a lap sounds pretty cheap to me. <laughs> <laughs> Come dirt racing. Yeah. The offers there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you ever get you ever get burnt out a little bit, like doing so much racing? Um, or have there been periods in your career where it's like, ah, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if this, the, the juice is worth the squeeze. I think last year when we had that whole tire debacle locally, I think that like that was where I was really contemplating not racing. Mm. Um, and if I didn't do it for a living, I probably would have, I mm. probably would have just said, you know, this isn't worth it. There's people slandering your name and they're talking bad about all this stuff that you did and 
you didn't do it. So well, you got to explain it now. Uh, yeah. So we went through a, a deal where they, they took a tire sample and we knew about the test ahead of time. And um, long story short, they said we cheated and we sent the tire out with the tech inspector and it came back that none of the stuff that they said was in the tire was in the tire. So, and um, explain for, for, I guess, non-racers what people would do. You know, as far as as far as cheating with a tire. Uh, so they they said that we had like I think our tire. They did a chemical analysis and they said that our tire had like tylene, xylene, um, some sort of acid. Uh, I think it was two forms of acid. There was four chemicals that they said were in our tires, and the other two people that they said were were cheating with tires, they had plasticine in them. So they said that there was all these chemicals in our tire, which you know there's a rule that you can't do that because um, you're altering the compound of the tire and, and making it so that chemicals are now in play in racing, which I agree that, you know, they shouldn't be allowed there. There should be no softening of tires. There should be no chemical additives of tires. I really do think that the rule is in the rule book for a really good reason. Yeah. Um, I just think that testing for it needs to be a better progress or better process. And um, they need to bring it to labs that are accredited. Um, the lab that they sent the, the test at, originally was was a place that doesn't follow any guidelines um the week after they did the test the machines were down for some reason and it's like a mom pop deal down in north carolina so i just feel like people's reputations are on the line and they need to hold the tracks need to hold themselves to a higher standard and the tech inspectors need to hold themselves to a higher standard and take this stuff a lot more serious than than it was And, and thankfully like through through us going through all this we've you know, talking to, to lab technicians and scientists and all this other stuff, they've, they've made it so that it is better. Um, you know, using gloves when you take the tire sample, who knows what you just, you know, you got a crew guy that goes and lubricates your hymens before the feature with, you know, thrust yeah. and then goes and takes the tire sample for you, you know, that could contaminate it or, um, anything can contaminate these samples. And I think that people take it lightly because it happens so often and, and, you know, nothing comes back but when it does it really opens your eyes and you look at it with a whole different scenario me and me and bob slack were sitting on the the jersey barrier the night that they were doing the tire test waiting on the the tech inspector to come over take the sample smelling each other's tires joking around about it and yeah um, because you guys knew you were good yeah we we had nothing to worry about and now it's like you know now i don't joke around when the tech inspector comes for a tire sample it's like i want to be a part of it me like not two crew guys it's me and one crew guy and um you know we're going to we're going to make sure they seal the bags and um they're putting the tire samples in glass vials inside the bags now which is a pretty big thing because um we learned in sending the samples to the second lab that samples can cross contaminate through the bags and um it's just trying to make things better in it uh hopefully something good comes out of something really bad and um, hopefully it doesn't happen to anybody else. I actually, I hope it does happen to people that really thought that we were cheating and yeah. we did this cause that would be pretty good karma. But, um, I, I'm not that type of person that wishes bad on anybody. So, right. Yeah. So, I mean the, the, I guess as far as dirt stuff goes, the, the tire thing would be massive obviously cause everyone's fighting for grip. And then the other thing is, uh, traction control. There's no, is there, there's a rule on traction control or different countries I know have different rules. Like that's obviously huge. Dirt racing, uh, traction control is like big time frowned upon. It's against the rules. You, yep. you can't do it. And you know, some cars go through the corner and they're making different noises than others. And you know, that's where you kind of, you know, raises your eyebrows. Um, I think that 
you know, the two series we raced against or raced with, um, we talked about it earlier, the short track super series and the super dirt series, they have two different sets of rules. Um, and the super dirt series, it's like, like, don't even think about doing anything. You can't have anything that, that retards the timing throughout the race. Um, like on the short track super series, you can have a switch on the dash that'll knock five degrees of timing out and, mm. and basically take power out of the motor. Um, and that's even progressed, you know, that now, now there's like, you can run two MSD boxes. One has like a timing curve that progresses after a certain RPM. Um, so that's, I think it should be, should be illegal. I don't think that it should be allowed in the sport because I don't, I don't like involving computers in something that's so mechanical, like right. racing, dirt racing is really very mechanical. Um, we've got still regular gauges. We don't have computer gauges and computers. We don't have the, you know, the, the gauges that you see in the NASCAR races. We don't have any of that stuff. So I think that allowing, um, computers to, to change the output of races, um, shouldn't be allowed, but, um, yeah, traction control is a big time, um, no, no, in dirt modified racing. I'm, I'm not, uh, very aware on how it works, but I'm sure that, uh, there's some places that it would work really well at. And I've talked to older racers, um, that have tried it and they say like back in the day that it couldn't learn fast enough. So like sometimes you'd be running the bottom and you know, you'd go to step on the gas and it would get used to wheel spin and then you'd go to the top and hit the cushion and you couldn't spin the tires. Yeah. So, but I think that technology's come so far that now that the traction control learns so much faster and works off of Bluetooth and GPS and Wi-Fi and all this other stuff. So, um, I wish that there was a easier detection for it and then you would know you were racing on a level playing field. But really, I think like the, the guys that run up front in these races, I think that they have so much to lose that, um, running something like that, you know, almost like me with the tires. And yeah. I, I learned with that tire thing, you know, don't, don't accuse anybody of cheating unless they're really cheating. And, for sure. um, you know, until they get caught and it's, uh, it's a big accusation. It's a big thing in, in racing. And not, like I said, I think that the guys that run up front have such reputations to, w- to withhold that um, nobody, nobody's really doing that. Maybe the guys that are in the back, you know, looking for a little bit and um, they don't really, you know, they just do it for fun. Some, one of their buddies says, Hey, I got this thing. Let's try it. Yeah. You know, I think that that happens probably more than what we think, but right. uh, for the most part, the guys that run up front, I don't think are doing that. I seen a video actually of uh, a Pinty's car trying to do a donut. And that was like, I was part of a Facebook, or I, I was part of battle. I seen it, and I'm like, man, I this is wild to see. Like there was people calling out people, and it was um, that was an interesting time for the for the asphalt community here in Canada. Certainly, that was an interesting video, wasn't it? It was. <laughs> I I looked at it, and I I don't know much about Pinty's cars, but I it was wild. I can't comment on it. I don't yep. know. I don't know any of these people to to have them hate me because I talked bad <laughs> on this. So, uh, but yeah, yeah, it was interesting. No, absolutely. And that's why I thought I'd ask. Cause, um, I know I've heard that, I guess maybe it's like Australia or something that, that, that it's legal to run. I don't know. Uh, I could be wrong. Like in, uh, in sprint car stuff. So I did a podcast earlier in the week and they asked me like, if you can't catch it, do you think that it should be legal? And I said, absolutely not. Because at that point, why don't we just run less horsepower motors? Like we're all right. building these big motors to go out and dirt race. Why don't we just run sports motors where you don't need traction control? And right. then, you know, we won't pass. And then fans will be complaining that there's no passing. So I think that, you know, a big thing in, in dirt racing is getting the, the car to hook up, but still rotate. So like if you can get the car to rotate the center of the corner and still drive off, 
you're going to have a really good race car. And I think that if you got traction control involved in that, it would just make that aspect of it not matter. Right. No, for sure. For sure. Is there any, um, are there any big races that are left on the list that you haven't won that you want to go win or have you won them all? The one that we haven't won and I really don't see myself winning it because it's at a track that I don't run good at um, is the Fonda 200. Now in saying that we ran third, I think there in that race this year. Um, Where is that? Fonda. So Fonda's um, just past Syracuse on the 90. Uh, and the Fonda 200 is very historic. Like Richard Petty's ran in that race. I think he won it in like the 50s or 60s. Cool. Um, but it's, you know, you were talking about getting wore out and it's really the only race physically that I feel like, you know, I need to go to the gym and, and mm. be, be better physically because, um, it's like trying to do 200 laps around a racetrack that, you know, you shouldn't even be doing 50 at like, you know, the motors screaming, it's a big, long D shaped back straight away. Um, and it, it, most of the time we go there, it's rough. Um, so the car's just hanging on for every little bit and, um, 200 lapper in a dirt yeah, car. That's a lot of racing. So they stop us at halfway and, and we're allowed to take fuel and tires and the guys that don't take tires go to the infield and the guys that do take tires go to the pits and you're allowed 10 minutes and the guys that don't take tires start ahead of the guys that do. Yeah. So it adds a little bit of, um, like a pit stop strategy. Yeah. 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 But, uh, it's cool. It's, we, we do a few 200 lappers. We do the Fulton outlaw 200, um, the Fonda 200, Oswego is a 200 lapper. Um, and we've won, we've won Oswego a couple of times, Fulton we've won once, but I've never won Fonda. So it's the, it's like the only crown jewel that we haven't won. And, um, like I said, I don't see myself winning it. It's probably going to be one of them ones that I never, never get. I won't get to complete the, the whole crown jewel thing. I don't know what you would call it. Right. Is that, is there like uh that like everyone recognizes like all these races like does it, do they make up like a triple crown or like a crown jewel thing like all the crown jewel races? I think every like any race that pays more than twenty thousand dollars to win is considered like the upper echelon of like dirt modified racing that you want to win. Yeah. Um, what does that one pay? That's fifty three thousand this year, but I I seen a thing out at PRI that um, possibly they're going to pay a hundred one thousand to win that race. So yeah, if they do that. Um, I hope they don't because I've, I'm the only modified guy that's ever won $100,000. Okay. So I hope they don't do it because then that would add somebody else to the list. And if they pay 101, it would be even bigger than what what we've won in the past. It's pretty cool to wear the hat. Like you're the only guy that's won 100,000. But um, I hope it. I hope that they spread the money out throughout the purse. If they make it 101,000 to win, I hope that it's 50 for second, you know, 40 for third, 30 for fourth. Right. Or, right. You know, so make it make it so that it's a pretty good paying race. But um, anytime people are willing to put money into the purses you can't complain about that so no um no not at all maybe this will be the year maybe adding that extra money to the purse will make it so that we run a little better but who knows so you've got uh this year coming up same program as last year pretty much yep exact same um we're gonna do uh ranceville on fridays um possibly canadagua on saturdays um it's a little further down the road for us but it's a big block race uh, it's big block racing. And I think that it's going to make me a better driver because we have a couple series races there. I've never won at that racetrack. So if I can race there weekly, it's going to, it's going to hopefully make us better on the tour. And, um, then we'll follow the, follow the two, two different series. And probably if, if the weather cooperates, we might hit over a hundred races. We'll see. Jeez, dude, that's insane. Well, man, I'll, uh, I'll let you go. I really appreciate you coming on. Um, 
I guess, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of guys, I ask them at the end, you know, for some advice. Um, I feel like we laid out a pretty good case here anyways, but I'll ask your opinion on it. You know, a, a young kid wants to be a professional race car driver. What kind of advice do you give them? Don't do it. <laughs> um, no, I, I think like there's, there's two ways. Obviously there's the one that says, don't do it, you know, go and go to school and be a lawyer or be something that's way more stable. But you know, if you really dream about being a race car driver, don't give up on that. Like, you know, follow your dreams, just, you know, the cliche sayings, but, but it's really true. And, and I did, I never gave up on racing. And, um, I think until I was about 26 or 27, I didn't get to get to ever call myself a professional race car driver or, you know, race for money at that point. So, um, just don't give a, keep working hard. It, it takes a lot of hard work. And, um, as you get older and, you know, you get further into it, you, you can kind of relax a little bit on the YouTube videos and watching how people do things and studying how springs are smashed. But, uh, for the most part, times are ever changing. And, um, you know, sometimes you need to just sit back and, you know, pull your phone out and study a little bit more on YouTube, but yeah, don't give up and just keep trying to do it. Yeah. Right on. There's always more to learn. There's always more to learn. Yeah. Thanks man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. See you guys next week.